0: SP Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to a new episode of the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Joe Longan, Eric Henry here. What with the... Fuck me. Welcome to a new episode of the Underdog Podcast here on underdogdynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Jill Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you once again. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We got through the offseason and despite every single thing the universe has thrown at us, we are getting some fall football this week uh we have multiple cusa games to talk about this weekend and we will jump into those in just a few moments but first uh eric how are you surviving uh the covid epicenter that is the state of florida right now
1: you know what i'm taking it one day at a time so far so good i think i'm i'm safe and sound and i am just you know cautiously optimistic that things are heading in the right direction and more importantly man we got a little college football to talk about you know uh, joe i don't know if you feel this way but I I'm kind of feel like the excitement that we normally would have is a little bit dampered or it's been you know kind of a kind of a damper on it, mainly because not that people aren't as excited for football, but I think so many people would typically be getting excited for their tailgates or like their their groups that they'd go out and watch a game with. And that seems like it's still up in the air, you know, that I think that's kind of put a damper on on kind of things so far. I don't know if you get that same impression.
0: Absolutely. It kind of goes back to what you and I were talking about off-air when we were discussing the Central Arkansas versus Austin P game. And that's that college football's lost a lot of the usual pageantry that goes with it because of the COVID restrictions and that sort of thing. There's no fans in the stands, there's no tailgate parties, like you mentioned. And, you know, obviously people like you and me who nerd out over the X's and O's and that sort of thing still get ultimately what we want out of a out of a football game and that sort of thing. But the people who are you know, just in the football for the social aspect are, you know, getting, you know, their money's worth, not that they paid for any of this, but you understand what I'm trying to
1: say. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you made an excellent point there in the sense that, you know, we, we we'll we jump to the pod in a second, but I do think you really made an excellent point in that because it's college, you have so many people who like to just for Saturdays for them. It's not as much the X's and O's like you and I, it's a social gathering, you know, it's a time to throw on your school's colors and, Go drink for a couple hours and you know talk trash about you know your rival or something that that extent. So, the fact that that seems like it's up in the air it does flex like a little bit of a damper, but hopefully, um, things keep heading in the right direction, and we may be able to do that in spurts. That might be an option later in the season. Ditto on that.
0: And uh, as we jump right into the uh, new stuff before we preview games, uh, one young man who has had a lot of things going in uh, the right direction for him the last few weeks, uh, Mr. Grant Wells, quarterback for the Marshall Thundering Herd. Uh, of course, a lot of the offseason conversation there was surrounding uh, former QV1 Isaiah Green and his decision to transfer and then... Uh, he went back on that decision and uh, is now on the team again, but uh, looks like he lost that QB1 job to uh, Grant Wells, and uh, he is going to be the guy for Saturday season opener against the EKU Colonels. Excited to see what he brings to the Thundering Herd offense here.
1: Absolutely. No doubt about it. You know, we've talked about Isaiah Green ad nauseum on this podcast. So why don't we actually talk about the person who will be under center for them in Grant Wells? Just when one last note before we get into Grant. I uh, even though Isaiah Green did rejoin the team, at least to the best of our understanding, he took his name out of the transfer portal. Didn't see him on the two deep. So he is not a factor. If anyone's wondering if he's going to be the backup or anything like that, I did not see him on the too deep when that was released earlier this week. But yeah, Grant Wells, three-star prospect, hometown guy, or, or uh, excuse me, Marshalls and Huntington's, so I shouldn't say a hometown guy, but a home state guy, a product of George Washington High School in Charleston, West Virginia, three-star prospect. So not like he's not a talented guy, just as talented coming out as far as The 247 rankings uh, as talented as Isaiah Green, so clearly has some potential there. And, yeah, really, it'll be all eyes on him. You're talking about someone who, not to say that, you know, being from West Virginia automatically means he's more invested than anyone else, but think about it, you know, if you grow up in that part of the country and – that's the, the, the program that's nearby. It's either that of West Virginia, who you grew up playing quarterback for. And if you've read any of uh, our friend Grant Trailer from the uh, Gazette Mail over there in Charleston, West Virginia, he wrote a piece saying that this really was his dream to be the starting quarterback at Marshall. And uh, between he and Luke Z- uh, Zabin uh, competed for the, for the position, and Wells won out. So interesting to see what happens. All in all, you know that the offense is going to run through Brendan Knox and having him there will be a – Huge key to getting Mr. Wells adjusted to being the guy in Huntington.
0: Fun fact, as our buddy Grant laid out, uh, who you shouted out there – the last in-state quarterback product to start for the herd was Mark Zaban, all the way back in 1995. And uh, fun fact about Mark Saban: he is the father of Luke Saban, who was the other candidate for West Virginia, or, I'm sorry, for Marshall's uh, starting quarterback, a product of the, you know, West Virginia high school system, of course. So uh, weird how it all comes full circle for the thundering herd as they prepare to start their season here. Uh, but, The Herd are not the only team within the conference to uh, be making some hard decisions regarding their quarterbacks as uh, we get geared up for the season here. Um, Furthermore, for UTEP, we have uh, no TJ Goodwin and uh, looks like it's going to be Mr. Galvin Hardison playing that spot for the minors. So interested to see how this shakes out for UTEP in a season where, you know, due to many other things, we didn't exactly have high expectations for them to begin
1: with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny, Joe, because you and I have been talking about TJ Goodwin for a while here saying that, you know, he could be the next guy in line. And by all accounts, he was a high three star prospect, someone who, you know, a Texas quarterback, athletic guy, six five, two hundred and ten 210 pounds. He kind of figured that he would be the next one in line, but he's chosen to opt out. And of course, that's his decision. Clearly respect that. Does he get the job going forward? I think that's a huge question because Gavin Hardison is someone who did play last year, went 27 to 61 for 335 yards. So at least he has a little bit of game action uh, underneath his, his belt, so to speak. And I I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, once again, Gavin Hardison's a redshirt sophomore. He's not someone who, you know, is like a senior, like it was the the situation with the kid. Of course, his name is escaping me right now. I believe it's Ryan Metz was the quarterback uh, two years ago, um, was the passing quarterback. And then, of course, he had Kyle oxley as well as a senior. So it's not like you're talking about someone who's being groomed uh, to be the starter. Gavin Hardison could easily take control of this job and and kind of, you know, put a, a vice grip on it, for lack of a better phrase. So we'll see what happens. But I think all in all, it's it's – For UTEP, it's not just a quarterback thing. You know, anyone who's had a chance to watch them over the past two years, I'm actually a little bit higher on UTEP than most. I had a chance to see them live against FIU. They pushed FIU for three quarters before FIU pulled away in the fourth quarter last year in Miami. It's not that they don't have talent. It's that they don't have enough of it. And I know that sounds like I'm, you know, it's kind of like, duh, of course they don't, but they – the defense – was solid, but they had to play like two billion times a game. So of course, you can only stop the other team so many times. It's just a matter of developing enough consistency on offense, developing an identity. Uh, they they lost, you know, uh, running back in, in the off season, and of course they're getting one back from injury. So I think that's going to be the main thing. But. Really, it's just a passing game. They you can't go run, run, and then be in third and long and try to convert those those situations and expect to win football games. So we'll see what happens. All in all, but it has, for UTEP, it's not a matter of just quarterback. It's a matter of the entire team.
0: Absolutely. And uh, diving into what you just said about it being a matter of the whole team kind of gelling correctly for UTEP this season, um, someone made kind of an interesting point in our COSA. Table. I forget which of our, our colleagues it was, but there's the possibility of Dana Dibble not retaining his job next season, depending on what happens in the field. But I have to disagree with that because just given the fact that no one is losing a year of eligibility for this season. And, you know, I understand that athletic departments are still expending money and resources to make the season happen at some level, but also you got to think like, a coach like Dana Dimmel is going to get a little more leeway given everything that preceded this football season. Correct. Or am I, or am I off my rocker a little bit here?
1: No, you're correct. I believe it was Jared. It was Jared Kelmis who made that point. And the point that I made in the round table was I felt that it'd be unfair to really judge any coach given the circumstances surrounding college football in this pandemic to assess them fairly and say, Hey, you didn't do X or Y. So your job performance is subpar. You know what I mean? Now, sure, the flip side of that would be Dana Dimmel is two in 22, if my memory serves me correct, at UTEP. So it's not exactly like he's done well with an entire uh, uh, full offseason, so to speak. But I'm a true believer, Joe, in at least giving someone an entire full cycle of their recruiting class, so essentially four years, to come in and at least see what they can do, if they can increase the talent level and go from there. Because the fact of the matter is this. The cupboard is really bare at UTEP. The, the running back I was talking about who graduated last year was Trevon Hughes, former running back linebacker. They're getting Quadres Wadley back. That'll help. You have a three-star guy in Deion Hankins they brought in. We just mentioned TJ Goodwin, who was a star recruit. But it's a matter of keeping guys. I mean, they, they had uh, receivers who were a guy like Trishon Wolf, for example, who was expected to, to be someone who could contribute, transfer out. You know, and it's just give Dana Dimmel at least four years to see if he can increase the talent level on the roster. That may not immediately manifest itself in wins. And yes, I can understand if you're a UTEP fan, you would at least be like, hey, can we at least be Rice in the sense that Rice looks much more competitive over the, the same time span as UTEP? But I don't think it's fair to assess Dana Dimmel, given um, the circumstances surrounding this pandemic and just trying to get young guys in. I mean, you have when we spoke to Butch Davis on the FIU News Conference a couple of weeks ago, he talked about having young guys, um, true freshmen who hadn't even arrived to campus a couple of weeks ago. And typically, you at least be able to get them in and in pads and um or at least, you know, through workouts and get an assessment, and get them up to speed. But I just don't think it's fair to assess Dana Demel this year. I think you, you give them this year and at least one more year and you can go from there.
0: I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think uh, this season is, it's just too hard to judge the job that uh, most of these coaches have done, unless there's like extreme circumstances, uh, you know, that they've brought on their team for, for some reason or another. But uh, let's, let's take a quick, nine and a half hour road trip to uh, Denton from El Paso here to talk about the uh, North Texas Mean Green and uh, what Seth Luttrell is planning on doing with his quarterbacks headed into week one here. Um, given obviously the departure of um, Mason Fine at the conclusion of last season, um, people were wondering whether it's going to be Austin Awning or Jason Bean under center for that team. But, uh, you know, heading into week one here, Coach Luttrell seems like he's going to go with both. Uh, at least that was the impression he gave in his press conference earlier this week. Uh, Ani and Bean are both going to get snaps. And uh, to quote Coach Luttrell, if someone gets hot, they may play a little more. Um, so, I mean, I think we've, we've seen plenty of college football teams over the year try to, you know, go with this system where they're not really sure which quarterback is going to ultimately separate themselves from the other one to win that starting job in the long term. Um but, you know, I, I think if you're going to go with this kind of system week one's the right time to do it, uh, you know, it, it, unless you're like the 2014 Ohio State team, a two quarterback strategy isn't going to work long term.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Joe. I mean, here's the thing. You're talking about two guys who coming out of high school pretty evenly uh, as far as prospects goes. I mean, One, uh believe it or not, played baseball. So he actually came out of the 2012 class. So he is. If my math here is correct, he should be 25 or 26 years old when he committed to TCU in the class of 2012. Was a three-star prospect, and then Jason Bean as well was a three-star prospect. Both guys played a little bit last year. Uh, Jason Bean got the starts, I believe. Austin Noon filled in a little bit when uh, when Bean, you know, was either um, coming out of the game or just to get a couple of garbage time snaps. But if if you don't feel that one guy is significantly ahead of the other. Give both guys the snaps. I don't see an issue with that personally. We know that Seth Latrell is going to put the football in the air, given the history of the past few years over there in North Texas and the records that Mason Fine has put uh, together and set. So we'll see what happens. Definitely have plenty of talent on the outside to throw the football to. Um, Jason Pertle is a tight end, so you got him as well. Uh, DeAndre Torre. And of course the other running back is going to escape me right now when I, when I need to remember the starter, but um, yeah, all in all, I think there's enough pieces at North Texas to make things work. I just think given the fact that if you're not sold on one guy, why not have a two-man rotation? I know some people aren't a fan of the two-man rotation, uh, so to speak, but there's no point in just, kind of eliminating one person from the from the competition if you don't feel solid in the other one. So um, I, I think that'll work. The other running back I was thinking about was Trey, Sig- Trey Siggers, who uh, rushed for 853 yards last year. So plenty of talent around on offense, and I think it's a smart move. I, I think North Texas could surprise some people if they get the quarterback position settled.
0: Sure, it makes sense. Ultimately, it's just about developing chemistry, which, again, it's week one. They have time to do, but given the fact that it – it is a shortened season. The margin for error for everybody is, is certainly a little bit smaller. Um, so, with that, let's let's talk about uh, one more quarterback here, and uh, that is Mr. Jack Abraham at Southern Miss. Uh, obviously, I think out of all the offensive players on that team, now that Kez Watkins is gone, we have the highest expectations for him. Uh, but based on the way things are going with Southern Miss, and more and more players, uh, you know, choosing to opt out or getting hurt or what have you, it, it really seems like it's going to be the Jack Abraham show for the majority of the year down in Hattiesburg.
1: (laughs) Well, for the sake of Southern Miss fans, they're going to hope that Jack Abraham takes a quantum leap. And that's not to say that he was a, been a a bad quarterback by any stretch over the past two years, but I mean, Joe, they've had a lot of guys opt out, especially on defense. And I just don't necessarily see how, not just guys, they've had starters opt out on defense. No rushing booth. Um, Shannon Showers, you know, we've talked about those guys. They they had um, uh, the the wide receiver as Well, I believe it was Jalen Adams who opted out. So it's just, it, it's hard to see a situation where, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just hard to see a situation where if you're a Conference USA team and at the group of five level, the thing we talk about the most is depth, right? You know, it's not necessarily that. The, at the G5 level, your ones can't compete with anybody's ones in the nation. It's having the depth to go two and three deep. Having to already tap into that now, I think that's a tough ask. So Jack Abraham, I mean, they're going to have to lean more on the running game as is, and we already know that they're going through another coordinator change with Matt Kubik coming in. So it's, it's just a lot to expect. I, I don't expect Jack Abraham's play to fall off significantly, but, you know, put it to you this way. Given the defensive losses and then the loss of Jalen Adams, I'm expecting if Southern Miss is going to win games this year, they're going to win it by putting up points on the board and not necessarily going to stop anybody. And that's troublesome as is because they had trouble stopping people last year. So we'll see what happens.
0: It's going to be an interesting year for Southern Miss uh, for a variety of reasons. That is for sure. i um, interested to see how that, uh, how this week in particular shakes out with them as they face South Alabama, but it's not time for that part of the show yet. Uh, real quick. We need to, uh, <laughs> we need to talk about the middle Tennessee state blue Raiders and uh, their situation in the backfield, uh, obviously expecting big things from Asher O'Hara at QB one this year. Um, but I think everybody kind of raised their expectations for the Running backs uh, in Murfreesboro based on the additions of grad transfers uh, Amir Rasul from Florida State and uh, Martel Petaway from West Virginia. However, they have both opted out. So we're going to get another year of Shaitan Mobley and Brad Anderson as the uh, MTSU running backs, which, you know, adds another layer to the intrigue of what's happening in uh, COSA right now, in my
1: opinion yeah, it does present an interesting case for Middle Tennessee State. You know, I just happened to be checking the roster today, and I noticed that both of the grad transfers weren't there. and it's interesting. you're talking about someone in Martel Petway who played at West Virginia, was a very good back, you know, had um a, a modicum of success, his his junior year before at least the 2018 season. I know he ran for hundred yards and two touchdowns against Texas. Definitely was a starter going down the stretch towards the end of the year before getting replaced in 2019. And Amir Rasul was a five-star prospect heading to Florida state. So two guys that they leaned on heavily. I mean, if you follow middle Tennessee state in any of their social media, those are two guys who they featured. You know, when you talk about bringing in transfers and the recruiting class, you can kind of get a little hint as to how the coaching staff and, and how you know, the expectations for what some guys may be by how heavily they feature certain guys on, you know, the website and little things like that. And both guys were talked about Rick Stock still openly talked about the fact that those guys were going to be depended upon to give Asher O'Hara a little bit of cushion in the run game. And now they're not there. So at least they have Shaitan Mobley and Brad Anderson back. And those are guys who are CUSA vets. We know what they can do, but no doubt about it. You can tell that Rick Stock still was definitely excited to have two talents to G5, excuse me, to P5 talents like those guys come down to the G5 level and play. So we'll see what happens, but tough, tough break for the uh, Blue Raiders. For
0: sure. I mean, other than obviously Ash O'Hara last year, Shaitan Mobley was uh, definitely a bright spot of, you know, what ultimately ended up as a four and eight season for the Blue Raiders. So uh, hopefully he can sustain that momentum and, you know, carry his team to, uh, you know, a little bit better record this year. Um, Ultimately, I think MTSU is going to be, one of the uh, teams that surprises people in CUSA this year, which I said in our CUSA roundtable, which you can go and check out uh, right now. And like we said, we have actual college football to talk about this week. So starting off on Thursday night at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3, we have UAB hosting Central Arkansas. So Central Arkansas has actually already played a game on the season. They beat Austin P last week. Uh, it came down to a final play. Super exciting game. Um, if you haven't had a chance to go back and, and watch highlights from that, highly recommend it. Um, Central Arkansas has definitely surprised a few FBS teams over the last couple of years. So intrigued to see what they do uh, here at Legion Field against the Blazers. But You know, ultimately, I give Bill Clark a lot of credit in what he's been able to do with this team over the last couple of years. And I think he'll have them ready to play. But this is going to be a much closer game than perhaps the casual college football fan might assume, uh, given the fact that it is an FBS team against an FCS team. But I think UAB is going to be able to start the season with a win here. 100%
1: agree and I actually am on the opposite side here. I believe that UAB is going to come and look to make a statement given the fact that they'll be heading to Miami to take on the Hurricanes after this game. Central Arkansas, as you talk about, has beaten a couple FCS or excuse me, FBS teams. Most notably, Joe Lonergan's tops last year. The Hilltoppers suffered a Season opening loss to Central Arkansas at the hands of Braylon Smith and LaJuan Winningham. That combination hooked up for three touchdowns, if my memory serves me correct. Uh, I believe they scored twenty one unanswered points in the second half to win that game. But Western Kentucky, all's, all's well that ends well. They uh, had quite the season last year, so managed to you know move on from that uh, that um, upset. But all in all, as far as UAB and Central Arkansas goes, I have no real troubles at all in picking. UAB, I think Tyler Johnson is going to take the next step as a quarterback, Good to see Spencer Brown back on the depth chart and healthy. You talk about the guys they have on defense. Jordan Smith is an absolute baller, former Florida Gator. Christopher Mole. he'll definitely be uh, looking for another standout season from the linebacker position. And this, their secondary, Joe, is just stacked. I mean, you talk about guys like Dijon Turner who pro football focus rated as the number one nickel cornerback in all of college football. I mean, that's incredible. And they get the return of Bronte Harris back. So definitely expecting UAB to roll here. And, you know, I won't spoil my UAB Miami prediction. I will save that for next episode. But I think they will be running on all cylinders by the time they get to Miami. Definitely
0: deserved high praise for the UAB defense. And uh, again, intrigued to see what they are able to accomplish this season. But got to get over this first hump. Uh, of course first and uh, let's be honest if there's one game against the team from Arkansas from last season that uh, Western Kentucky fans are going to choose to remember for a while it's the <laughs> one against the Razorbacks so uh, we don't need to dwell on uh, what <laughs> Central Arkansas was able to do for Tops last season uh, instead let's just move on to uh, Southern Miss hosting South Alabama at 9pm uh, Eastern on CBS Sports Network uh, on Thursday as well so we get a nice little CUSA uh, double header there um, this is going to be an, an incredibly important game for Southern Miss. This is really the only chance they're going to get to tune anything that they need to tune before they jump into conference play. Here, uh, South Alabama, by no means a slouch, uh, however, not exactly the flagship program of the Sun Belt Conference. But um, like we were just talking about, Jack Abraham needs to you know play the season of his life here if Southern Miss wants any shot of playing postseason football if we even if anybody gets the chance to play postseason football this year
1: yeah the major thing i'll be keeping my eye on won't be jack abraham it'll be everyone else around him just to see a what they have talent wise and b quite frankly just who's on the roster you know you, we're not even talking about the players who chose to opt out and transfer. Something else that we should make note of, as we talked about that season opening game with Central Arkansas and Austin P. Joe, I don't know if you caught this really quick. I promise I won't stray too far from the uh, Southern Miss South Alabama game. Mm-hmm. That I believe it was Austin P. Who they didn't have their star receiver due to uh, some reason didn't make the team, make the travel, make the trip. Excuse me but they didn't have any of their long snappers. And I think you may have noticed that that, that resulted in a, a couple's bad snaps to the point where Austin P just decided to quick kick every time. Um, really quick, did you notice that? And I'll come back to why I mentioned that for the prediction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I did. It was, uh, it was definitely a, a funny wrinkle to that game where there was already several really strange Additions to that game as a result of like the, you know, the crowd policies and and what have you. But yeah, it, it really reminded me of, uh, I don't know if you watch King of the Hill at all, but there's an episode. (laughs) Do you know what I'm going to talk about where um, Hank, for some reason people think he's an assistant coach for (laughs) Nebraska and he accidentally calls a quick kick and (laughs) Texas loses. And he's like the disgrace of the state. That was anyway, every time I hear quick kick, that's what I think of now.
1: Joe, you and I can do an entire separate podcast on King of the Hill. So we won't, <laughs> we w- we'll spare our listeners that right there. But the reason I bring that up is just because if you're a team like Southern Miss, or if you're any team in Conference USA who you don't overwhelmingly feel that you have, you know, there are a lot of teams in Conference USA going through transition as far as having to replace a quarterback, or in this place, in this situation, having to replace a ton of talent. So, uh, to bring it all the way back to Southern Miss, you just got to hope that they don't have a situation where n- not only are they walking in shorthanded because of the opt-outs, they don't have some weird situation where they don't have a long snapper or a holder or a kicker or something like that because of the obvious circumstances surrounding the season. So that aside, absolutely expect Southern Miss to roll. South Alabama and Steve Campbell, that's a program that hasn't won more than six games since joining FBS. So they have their own struggle. Steve Campbell's 5-19 and 19 heading into this year. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, all in all, Southern Miss should win.
0: In agreement there. So let's jump forward in time to, uh, Saturday afternoon, 1 PM Eastern to be specific on the ESPN network. We have, uh, Marshall hosting the Eastern Kentucky colonels, uh, at Jones C Edwards, uh, stadium. Um, I, I think this is going to be a relatively easy win for Marshall, uh, obviously, as we just talked about, definitely a lot that they still need to figure out, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but Eastern Kentucky football, you know, not really, <laughs> um, not really anything to write home about. So I think Marshall's going to have this one in the bag. Um, and particularly, you know, I don't, I don't think it'll be a particularly high scoring game, but I think Marshall will get the opportunity they need here to wrinkle out anything they need to wrinkle out before they jump into USA play.
1: Yeah, what I'm really looking forward to seeing from Marshall A, of course, is quarterback Grant Wells, but B, the receivers. We know they lost obi Obi Obiallo, who went back to Oklahoma. Want to see the guys they have, Brock Thompson, Willie Willie Johnson, and Talik Keaton. There we go. Got them all out, as well as the tight end there in Xavier Gaines. They do have some talent. We have some playmakers on offense. They're just not going to be guys who necessarily have the most experience outside of Gaines, of course. Um, was a, an excellent backup tight end to Armani Levias last year. So we'll see what happens. He's kind of a jack of all trades guy. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, all in all, definitely expecting Marshall to win. Of course, they have Brendan Knox, if all else fails. Eastern Kentucky bringing a first-year head coach and Walt Wells, a former uh, assistant head coach at Eastern Kentucky, was a quality control guy for the Kentucky Wildcats the past two years. So not expecting too much from the, from the Colonels as far as that is concerned. So all in all, should see a Marshall victory. I just think the big thing for Marshall is they'll need to establish an identity. I think that Brendan Knox saw way too many seven- and eight- and nine-man boxes you know, towards the end of last year because teams had little to no confidence in Isaiah Green's ability to stretch the field. So if Grant Wells can at least develop that as a passing threat, that will take a lot of the pressure off of Brendan Knox.
0: Took the words right out of my mouth. Obviously, Brendan Knox is going to shoulder a lot of the responsibility for Marshall's offense. If Grant Wells can't get it done. So, um, excited to see what the year has in store for him as well as the rest of his team. Um, and then at 1.30 Eastern on CBS Sports Network, we have the Army Black Knights hosting MTSU at Asher O'Hara. Um, I think this is going to be the game of the weekend in terms of just the quality of competition. Obviously, we know Asher O'Hara can, can ball. Um, this Army team, they're a really intriguing case due to the fact that they are an independent and they've sort of managed to assemble kind of like a Frankenstein's monster of schedules here, uh, between all the opponents from the American and the Sunbelt and all these other teams that, uh, have ultimately opted to play fall football. Um, but I digress, uh, they're favored by four points and the over under is 56. I think that's really accurate. Um, I think that's an accurate prediction of what we're going to see in this game. We're going to see a lot of points because, you know, neither defense has really been able to play live football very much. We know that there are legit running threats on both of these teams. So, you know, I think we're in for a really close game. But ultimately, I think, you know, Army is just a little bit more experienced. And I think they're going to be able to pull this one out.
1: Yeah, I'm picking middle. But with that being said, this is not a good matchup for the Blue Raiders. It's something that Rick Stocks all talked about and that they've had to try to prepare for like three different teams in the sense of who they were going to open the season. And guess what, Joe? I'm going to let you chime in here really quick. What's an offense you don't want to try and prepare for without a lot of time? The triple option. Am I wrong? (laughs) You are not wrong, sir. So it's one of those offenses that you know you're not going to see a ton. And teams that run the triple option – They run it to success because they're not running a billion plays. They are running the triple option. With that being said, I do think that Middle Tennessee State will be able to rise to the occasion. They've got stud safety, Reed Blankenship back. They've got Asher O'Hara. They have guys on offense as far as Jimmy Marshall, who they're excited about. We'll see what happens at the running back position with Shaton Mobley and Brad Anderson. I'm of the belief, and of course, we've had Asher on the podcast. He's a friend of the pod. He's ready to take that next step as a passer would have loved to have seen what would happen if you had a full traditional offseason as opposed to just kind of the rushed offseason. But you can say that about virtually any quarterback or any player playing college football right now, we'll see what happens as far as that is concerned. I think the blue Raiders find a way to pull it out, but it's not going to be easy. I do agree with you that it will be the game of the week.
0: I'm very excited to see that one. Um, and then heading into the night games, we have North Texas hosting here. Houston Baptist at 7:30 Eastern on ESPN. Three, um, I think North Texas has this one pretty much in the bag. Excited to see what happens with this two uh, QB system. Um, but if you're talking about Houston Baptist, um, once again, not really a program that exactly strikes fear into the heart of FBS coaches. Um, but you know, I, I think this is going to be you know a good chance for Seth Latrell to really see what he has on offense. Um, like you mentioned, we know that there's plenty of talent. On any Seth Luttrell offense, but given the shortened off season and the fact that, you know, by Luttrell's own admission, he's not sure who's really separated themselves from the pack in terms of uh, talent so far. I'm excited to see what they're able to put together against uh, this Houston Baptist team on Saturday night. And I'm picking North Texas if that wasn't clear by my rambling mess of an explanation there.
1: Damn it, Joe. I was not going to come on here and make the Houston Baptist jokes. I was going to try to be mature and try to, you know, just get through this, but you've opened up the door for the Houston Baptist jokes.
0: <laughs> as I want to do.
1: <laughs> um, we're talking about a program that prior to last year was two and 20 head coach, Vic Shealy, in his two, four, six, seven years as a record of 18 and 56, but damn it. They had a good year last year. They went five and seven. That's an improvement. But that being said, uh, to quote, uh, you know the the rap lyrics, "Casuals, everything around me, cream, get the money, dollar dollar bills, y'all." As a throwback hip hop fan that I am, that <laughs> Houston Baptist is playing three games this year: one against Louisiana Tech, one against North Texas, and one against Texas Tech. You got to pay the bills somehow, right? And that's how Houston Baptist is doing it. Um, they're not gonna challenge North Texas, I, even though they challenged UTep last year. I believe they lost 34 to thirty four to 36 to 34, if my memory serves me correct. North Texas is a better program than UTEP. North Texas won't have an issue. This would be a great opportunity for both quarterbacks to showcase their skills. Great opportunity for a first-year defensive coordinator, Clint Bowen, to uh, show what he's going to do at, uh, at North Texas. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just think all in all, there's no reason to think that North Texas will have any, any issue. I just think the major thing you want to come out and see again is, uh, no injuries. Hopefully you don't have any issues as far as, you know, uh, injuries or the, uh, the coronavirus is concerned. You want to see them come out safe um, uh, and just, you know, they'll get a chance to establish themselves. I'll put it that way. I'm trying really, really hard not to just make more Houston Baptist jokes, but they clearly are taking the check this year.
0: I mean, the jokes write themselves at this point, point. Uh, 2020 itself is one large joke. So I think they can forgive you a little bit for uh, having a little fun at their expense at this point, because at this point they can definitely afford it uh, with the checks they're going to be cashing. Um, and then UTEP hosting Stephen F. Austin at 9 PM Eastern on ESPN three in the sun bowl. I think this is going to be UTEP's one win this year. Um, I don't like I've mentioned a few times, I don't have high expectations for them based on the talent they have returning and their, uh, you know, track record uh, in the Dana Demel era so far. Um, but I do think that they're going to start their fall campaign off with a with a win against Stephen F. Austin in their home stadium. And then uh, it's going to be a uh, a long fall from there on out.
1: This by no, you know, uh, no way possible in no circumstance can this be a tight game for UTEP. I know last year I just said that Houston Baptist pushed him. um, That game was a 36-34 victory for UTEP. They really got to come out and establish something. And quite frankly, I think they'll be able to. Gavin Hardison, we don't exactly know what he is, but at least we know he's a traditional pocket passer. That was one of the things with Kyle Oxley last year that he didn't really progress as a passer to a last year down the stretch. Now, with that being said... As I mentioned earlier in this podcast, anyone who saw UTEP play knows that it wasn't just him. They had a myriad of issues. Hopefully they can, same thing I mentioned with North Texas, come out injury-free, unscathed, not have any COVID issues, get the victory. And I want to see guys like Deion Hankins. You know, we've heard a lot about this guy. He's a El Paso native, you know, highly touted recruit, three-star running back. Let's see what happens with him. See them get that running game going. And all in all, defensively, I really like the strategy they have They've been playing a 3-3-5 defense for the past few years with guys like Michael Lewis and and, um, Justin Rogers and Jason Van Hook and all that talent. Some of those guys are now gone. They've now graduated. But I think it plays to their strength, which is at least the defensive backfield has performed well for them. So hopefully that will continue to happen in 2020. See what happens. But UTEP has to get the victory. They need to make a statement, and this one cannot be close.
0: Completely in agreement there. And uh, there you have it. That's our first round of predictions for the 2020 football season. I cannot overstate how excited we are to finally get this uh, get this season off the ground and bring you more shows like this one in the coming months. Uh, so stay tuned for those. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Check us out on Spotify and, of course, underdogdynasty.com. Every day for more G5 football content. Uh, super excited to uh, go on this journey with you all and uh, check back as we continue to do these. Happy football watching, everybody. Stay safe out there.